It's my vocal warm-up. I'm not messing around today, Walker. I got the bees machine. Ready to roll? You are ready to go today. You can tell when Doug Branson's ready to roll. How many well, B-pops do you get before you hop on? If there's zero, you're not feeling it. If you get a lot, boy's feeling it. The Branson B-pop. Yep, it's, uh, it's the B-pop meter. And it's high because we are going back to one of... I think it's not just my one of my favorite. I mean, I think it's a lot of people's favorite era of Hornets basketball. The the Ridge Hornets were going back into that era. Now, the Bees machine will figure out where exactly we're going, but we know we're going back to the original era because, Walker, this is every Hornets box score, the only podcast that dares, dares, to look at every single box score in Charlotte Hornets and Bobcats history. And the way we do that is we randomly select a box score from five different eras of the franchise's history. And now we're going back to the future, back to the original Hornets. What do you think about that? I it, Here's what I think about it real quickly before we move into the game. Yeah. The way that you intro this show is such that I have no clue when it's coming. And I don't know if this is calculated I don't know. I usually a lot of the times we're just kind of going back and forth and then you say, all right, here we go or we'll count down or whatever. But now you just kind of start. I don't even know when you started this show, like during the conversation at some point. I I don't even know. I have no clue. Uh, half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> Did I log on and immediately <laughs> and I was immediately recording. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. pretty gassed up, man. I went to the dentist this morning. My teeth are uh, as clean as you'll find them. Uh, so, you know. Got in and out really quickly. You know, the key to the dentist, it's the key to really anything if you want to get out of somewhere quickly is to get the first appointment. I try my best with any kind of doctor, whatever, dentist, early appointment because everything gets backed up from there. It's just like flights. Like I always get on the 6.30 a.m. flight. Yes, it's tough to get up in the morning. I get it. 4.30, it's painful. But, but... Your flight's never delayed because it's the first flight. Yeah, I mean that's and that's a beautiful thing. I just can't get up that early, so I'm just gonna make take the chance that it might get delayed and get that extra couple of hours of sleep if I can. That's the way I roll. Well, um, you know, I'm older, I'm wiser, and uh, you'll you'll get here at some. You're point. You're older. You're definitely older. I, I can't argue that. All right, let's do it. Let's go to the bees machine and find out okay. where we are headed on this adventure. Let's. Mike Amershaw for some reason. There we go. Oh, Wait, it's the. Oh, is it a Pacers explosion? Is that it's the Pacers place? at Are the you... Hornets, February second, nineteen ninety four. Walker is holding a Rick Smith's number forty five Indiana Pacers jersey. Yes, and, and it is. It is fit for a five year old. That's right. For this episode. The Bees Machine gave me a Rick Smith's five-year-old jersey that I had in back in like 1997. And I thought I would bring that out to show you. Yes, 
watching. I, I, I might have been in diapers watching this game, but there's a very good possibility that I was watching this game. Shout out to Rick Smith. We'll talk about him. I'm excited bringing back both of the teams that I am a fan of. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a Hornets loss here, 124 to 112. 124 to 112 and both of these teams uh well the both these teams around the same record the Pacers at 19 and 23 the Charlotte Hornets at 22 and 21 so they they still had a winning record to this point uh, but before we dive into the box score would you like Walker a little context around the 1993-1994 campaign for the Charlotte Hornets yeah let's hear the campaign so this was the season after they won their first playoff series against Boston. So you've got Alonzo, you've got Larry Johnson. They're both rolling along. You add Muggsy, you add Dell, and they've got a really solid core that won a playoff series and then played their next opponent pretty tough. And, and you know, sky's the limit for this team, right? And, and you would think, all right, automatic. They're going back to the playoffs. Everything is gravy. Unfortunately for the Hornets, they suffered a ton of injuries. This team was decimated by injuries. We'll get to the box score here in just a second, but you're not going to see Larry Johnson's name. You're not going to see Alonzo Mourning's name. Both of them injured for extended periods of time, and so they had to call on some help, and uh, they they were not doing well. And in fact, they finished this season right at the line, 41-41, and 41, did not make the playoffs. Yeah, this was a year where you thought maybe, just maybe the Charlotte Hornets could get past after, you know, get even further than their win against the Boston Celtics. That that was the famous Alonzo morning shot. That's the most important moment in Charlotte Hornets history. And it came very early on after they were in existence from 88 and 89. Yeah, I'm trying to look at some of the standings here, too. You know, you mentioned the Charlotte Hornets. They finished dead even at 500. And Seattle that year finished 63 and 19. Houston was 58 and 24. Atlanta had 57 wins. If you look at some of the Eastern Conference teams, though, you know, the, the Hornets, you felt like they could have gotten to a 50-win ball club there, at, at and yet the injuries just piled up too much, and eventually they wouldn't be able to get past some of these injuries. Yeah, it's unfortunate because this was pretty much, I mean, it's this best core, and then you can go back to the early 2000s where they had a chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they weren't able to capitalize on it. They, they missed it by a game to the Miami Heat, uh, and this was – Particularly a year where I think, obviously, it would be a few more years before my Hornets fandom really kicked into high gear. But I can imagine being a Hornets fan at this time and going, wait a minute, we got Alonzo, we got Larry Johnson. They're they're a year more seasoned, uh, playing better together. Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry's great. Everybody's healthy. We're good to go. We just want a playoff series. And, and Michael Jordan retired. The East is wide open. This is incredible. This is an opportunity. and uh, But unfortunately, the injuries pile up. They missed it by a game, by the way, to the Miami Heat, uh, powered by uh, Glenn Rice, a future Hornet, Steve Smith, Ronnie Cycli, who famously uh, told Charlotte, don't draft me, I'm not going there. And so then <laughs> Charlotte fans booed him uh, mercilessly. I believe that. that was the f- I think that was the first year. And so they, they ended up going with Chapman instead. Uh, or maybe that was the J.R. Smith year. I'd have to double check that. J.R. Reed, yeah. J.R. Reed, yeah. <laughs> J.R. Smith, that would have been, that'd been fun. Uh, also, Bimbo <laughs> Cole's great name for the Miami Heat during that time. Uh, don't know anything about him, just a great name. 
So there you go. That's the context around this particular season of Hornets basketball. Let's get to the box score. I'm going to scroll down here to the Hornets side. Starting for your Charlotte Hornets, Hersey Hawkins, Eddie Johnson, Muggsy Bogues, Mike Jeminski, and the Gap Man, Kenny Gaddison. Your reserves, Del Curry, who was 11 of 20 from the field for 27 points. Wowza. Big game for Curry. And four three-pointers. Eddie Johnson had five three-pointers. Yeah, 12 they both of 23 att- from the field. They they both attempted eight. So 16 from two guys on your team. And then you only had 19 total. So yeah, Tony Bennett took a three-pointer. David Wingett took a three-pointer. Hersey Hawkins took the other one. You know, a lot of good three-point shooters, or at least guys that were going to chuck it. But Del Curry, Hersey Hawkins, also a good shooter there. I'm not going to say ahead of their time, but had that kind of identity, you know, 19 three point attempts. That's a lot in that age and 19 in the early 1990s, 11 of 19 is in, and, and it's great. It's um, 58% from three and you managed uh, to lose this game uh, somehow. Let's see. So Indiana opens up the first quarter, big lead 33, 19 second quarter, they allowed 47 points. Holy free holies. Uh, third quarter, yeah, Charlotte did in win. That half. Right, I mean, eighty Yikes. in the first half, which is as many. I mean, there you don't you don't really see that a ton now, despite a ton of emphasis on the offensive end. No, I'm looking at these field goal percentages for Indiana. Derek McKee, six yeah. of eleven. Reggie Miller, nine of three. He was four of five from three. Rick Smith was ten of eleven. Just absolutely unstoppable. No zero hey, in this game. So yeah, Rick Smith's dominated. Oh uh, yeah, there you go. Haywood Workman, uh, one of five, didn't have a great game. Sam Mitchell, uh, future coach, two of six, seven points. On the bench, Vern Fleming, another great. I love I love these old NBA names. Vern <laughs> Fleming. Vern Fleming, I do know, it was one of the early players to put a triple-double on the Hornets. I caught that in perusing my uh, the media guides that I bought. So Vern Fleming has a triple-double on the Hornets. Byron Scott, 8 of 9. Antonio Davis, uh, 3 of 3. Antonio, we've had him on the on Lockdown Hornets before. Malik Seeley, 2 of 8. And then Kenny Williams, 0 of 2 from the field. But I, I want to go back to the Hornets here. 32 points for Eddie Johnson. 27 points for Del Curry. We mentioned Tony Bennett and, and David Wingett. And then there's a name here that I I don't rec I didn't initially recognize Marty Conlon. Do you know anything about Marty Conlon? Uh, I it is the one player that is listed that I have zero clue existed. I did not know at all who Marty Conlon was. Yes, yeah, so apparently he signed a 10-day contract uh with the Charlotte Hornets because of all of these uh injuries that they had. They pulled him, they plucked him from uh, the Rockford, Illinois uh, CBA team. He's playing for the CBA at the time, the Con- I believe it was Continental Basketball Association. So Conlon, um, I'm going to cl- click on his name and look through his stats real quick. So he was part of the Providence uh, Final Four team and uh, spent a year in Seattle, spent a year in Sacramento, comes over to Charlotte, plays... Oh, long career. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, played for the Bullets after that. Then two years in Milwaukee, a year in Boston, two in Miami, and then played played uh, overseas for a time. Uh, but played 16 games for the Hornets during this period where both Zoe and LJ were missing in action. And look at that, double-digit scoring, 10 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 
Uh, wore the number seven, by the way, if you've been following along with who wore it best. So it'll be a while before we get to Marty Conlon on that list. Um, but uh, he he donned the number seven. Uh, but yeah, so if if only, Walker, if only we had a chance to talk to Marty Conlon about joining the Hornets. If only, if only, if only, if only. Marty, thanks so much for joining every Hornets box score. Today's box score is the first game you played for the Charlotte Hornets. And to get some context, I thought I'd start with a write-up in the Charlotte Observer the day after the game. This was written by by Tom Sorensen. He writes, In real life, Marty Conlon was a center for the Rockford, Illinois Lightning of the Continental Basketball Association. He was sleeping in Rockford Tuesday when the telephone rang. It was his agent, and the news was good. The Charlotte Hornets wanted to sign Conlon to a 10-day contract. Conlon flew to Charlotte late Tuesday afternoon and on Wednesday morning was given a physical and signed a contract. At noon, he joined the team for a light practice, and at night, he played 29 minutes in a real game. Uh, Marty, that sounds like a pretty whirlwind experience for for your return back to the NBA. Is that how you remember it? Exactly. I remember... uh, (laughs) Waking up because I was in the Midwest and my agent who, you know, did a wonderful job getting me back into the NBA called me and he had a, he said, he said, I got good news. I have a call up, but um, a little more texture to this was, you know, I was uh, playing well in Rockford um, Mm -hmm. and I was, you know, four or five, you know, power forward center. And there had been a couple of call ups prior to that for that position, other players, and they got called up and, you know, obviously you know, you wonder why I didn't get called up, you know, those other guys, you know, good for them, obviously, you know, they got called up, but for, you know, I, I really had some good fortune because like you said, I played 29 minutes, you know, usually when you get a call up, you know, you're sitting on the bench, kind of what we're doing right now sitting, you know, because they just <laughs> need that slot to fill in a player for league rules. But <clears throat> when I got to Charlotte, the team was decimated with injuries. So, um, you know, it was really good fortune that I was able to, you know, get out there 29 minutes and play. So um, when I think of Charlotte and when I think of the Hornets, I only think of good things, especially that that first day. Yeah, you mentioned the injuries. Uh, no Larry Johnson for this game. No Alonzo Mourning. They were both out for for extended periods during this season. A season after they had made and won their first playoff series. There was a lot of buzz around the team. And then injuries seemed to set a lot of that back in that next season. Do you remember anything about the mood of the team around the time you joined? I mean, were, were people all right, we got to get this thing back together or what was the mood around the team? Do you recall? Um, I I think the mood was uh, maybe a bit of a shock, you know, again, you know, I was obviously just trying to, to make it and, you know, uh, get some playing time and and do my thing. But, you know, I remember I didn't see Larry Johnson, you know, apparently his injury was so um, serious, you know, Mm -hmm. that he was doing rehab kind of separate from the team. So, you know, I had been with the team for, weeks prior to even, you know, really seeing Larry and then, you know, obviously him trying to get back in practice. Uh, I remember Alonzo being on the bench and I knew Alonzo prior because we were Big East rivals in college. Right. Um, Him being obviously Georgetown, me being Providence. But I remember him being out for at least two, three weeks. So um, it was like almost like a new territory. Uh, for the Hornets, because, you know, obviously those are the two young stars, but um, we had to find a way to kind of compete and perform. Now, f- for me personally, 
you know, playing with Muggsy Bogues and playing that style of play, that offensive style was, was really, uh, you know, very, very good for me in my game. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. Cause I heard you mention that in another interview. Uh, obviously this wasn't your first rodeo in the NBA. You were in Sacramento yeah. and then you, you were in Seattle for a year, apiece. Right. but you got more minutes, more opportunity. And you mentioned that the offense was, was more wide open. Right. Uh, talk, talk to right. me about that for people that weren't aware of like how sure. offenses sure. ran generally in that like sure. mid nineties era. How, how were the Hornets different and how did that open up your game? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the Hornets were almost, um, you know, they're almost ahead of their time. You know, with the influx of international players and spreading the floor, that's the way that Alan Bristow had his offense, which was perfect for me. But, um, you know, for younger people, you know, they obviously don't remember, you know, they can go on YouTube, but a lot of offense uh, in the NBA was really um, ugly. You know, it was a lot of isolation offense, you know, so – for example, let's say, you know, you had a great three-man, you know, you, or a four-man. Let's say, for example, you know, uh, Carl Malone. I remember uh, after Charlotte, I was with the, the Washington Bullets. That's how old I am. I played for the Bulls, not the Wizards. And Tom Gugliotta was, you know, the, 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 the main offensive threat. So a lot of times the whole offense was predicated getting in their hands, which is understandable. But if you were not one of those players, let's say you were the five-man, you were isolated at the top corner. And yeah. then a lot of times you were telling the ref, like, okay, the player's guarded me. Either he's got to stay at the foul line or double team the ball. And, you know, understandably, you want the ball in the best player's hands, offensive players to score. But for a uh, role player, it's difficult because it's difficult to move. It's difficult to get offensive rebounds because you're isolated high up on offense. Right. And really, most importantly, you know, for a fan, it just wasn't a – I, I didn't enjoy watching it and I just right. didn't think it was an effective offense. And, you know, in the 20, 30 years, you know, since, you know, we've obviously we being the NBA have really opened the floor up. Um, obviously great players like Golinski and like that, the stretch four, you know, which you kind of take it in really opened up the court, but Charlotte was playing that style of play in the mid nineties. And then on top of that, you know, a, a player with me with a decent outside shot playing with Muggsy Bogues, who could really just obviously get anywhere on the court he wanted um, and then draw defense to him. You know, he, he'd throw it off to me. I was moving around. I could hit that shot. Plus, like I said, you weren't isolated up high. So even if there was a shot up, your offense was fluid. So you had a much, much better chance to get an offensive rebound. Uh, it was just, uh, like, like I said, it was really good fortune that I was able to get that call up I remember exactly February 1st, Rockford, Illinois. You could Google it. It was the Alpine Inn. A motor in, it's still there in Rockford, Illinois. Got the call and you know, motor in, you know, you just park your car, walk sure. right to your room, got the call up. And um, you know, obviously, um, when I think of Charlotte Hornets, Alan Bristow. Now I had played for the Hornets the summer of 1991 in Summer League. Okay. So Alan Bristow knew who I was. You know, I played for them for like a week, week and a half in summer league. So, you know, we did have a relationship. They did understand my game a little bit. And, uh, you know, it was obviously good that I, that I put my time in there because, you know, they, they, they picked me when I was in um, the Continental Basketball Association. Again, give us a window into Alan Bristow uh, was, was really the first coach to come in for the Charlotte yeah. Hornets and, and give them the the sort of success and organization that they, yeah. that the franchise desperately needed. Give give us a little bit of a window into what kind of coach and, and person he was. 
Well, he, he, he one, you know, he was a, he was a, you know, a straight shooter, uh, a good guy. Uh, you know, he was very young. So, um, you know, uh, you know, most of the coaches, you know, you'd play for a little bit older, but, you know, he was still like, I think in his early forties, um, he, you know, he, what I was impressed with him is every, before every game, he'd come in and bring a lot of energy. You know, a lot of times, you know, in the NBA, you know, it's, it's a cerebral league. Uh, you're obviously dealing with men, adults, but he would come in. And I think it was really good for a young team. And he, he'd come in, you know, I, I remember exactly. He'd be waiting for him and then he'd come right out of the coach's office and just have energy and say, come on, we have to come get it, get it. Let's get after it. Let's get excited. And, um, you know, so he brought a lot of energy, almost like a best aspects of a college coach bringing that kind of energy. And I thought that was good for a, a young team. And, um, you know, he really gave a lot of autonomy to the guards, to Muggsy Bogues. Um, obviously, Del Curry was a great shooter, Hershey Hawkins. But, you know, they had a lot of autonomy to create offense and, and do things. But, you know, for somebody like Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, I mean, it must have been a dream come true to play in that kind of offense, you know, where they could come up to the foul line, turn, face, they could post up. And then obviously you, you got like a point guard like Muggsy Bogues just creating offense for you. You know, that's a lot of easy baskets. And then, like I said, for a role player like me, you know, when, you know, I've mentioned this before, but when you're in isolation offense, even if you're not yeah. touching the ball in isolation offense, you're stuck way up. Think of the top of the key and then over by the, the marker there. You can go, so get, a, you go get a hot, up, you go get a hot dog, a soda. You could just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, you know, but then you're like, okay, just, you know, then you got to sprint and try to get that offensive rebound. So, you know, you're, right. even if you're, you know, getting a lot of minutes, your stats are pretty, you know, flatliners, you know, because yeah. you're so isolated up there, you know, again, in Charlotte's offense, there was so much moving that kind of stuff. Obviously you don't want Del Curry shooting Hershey Hawkins, Right. But the, a, a four or five like me, power forward center, you know, to get in there, get those offensive rebounds, you know, just feel be a part of it was uh, was fantastic. And like I said, you know, for the Charlotte fans, it must have been great to watch that kind of basketball, you know. And, because, and, and this, like I, did, did this opportunity essentially kind of kind of vault you into the the next period of your career? I mean, it was this, yeah. was this were you like, hey, Alonzo, take your time, buddy. I've got, I got this. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, Alonzo, I think that, uh, that knee needs a little more, uh, ice, you know, to, to, to right. take it easy. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, well, what happened is then, you know, so things were going well, you know, I was playing well, you know, obviously, you know, we were winning, losing, you know, a little more losing. And then they traded for, um, a guy that turned out to be a, a good friend of mine, uh, Frank Bukowski. Mm. So I remember, I remember the, uh, Charlotte, uh, the Charlotte newspapers headline was like Hornets repair wall with brick, you know, obviously and play on his name, <laughs> Frank Burkowski. Sure. So, uh, you know, obviously they brought him in, but uh, you know, I just want to mention that I became very good friends with Burkowski after that. And then I had played with Eddie Johnson. Yeah. He had a big game. He had a big yeah. one. I think he had 30 plus points in this game that yeah. we're looking at today. Yeah. Yes. And um, you know, he was, you know, he was a veteran. And when I, a few years prior, when I was trying to make the Seattle Sonics, you know, I wasn't drafted. He was, a, you know, an excellent guy to me. You know, he really encouraged me. Uh, he gave me confidence. Um, you know, I always remember what a great guy he was to me a few years prior when I was trying to make the Seattle Sonics. Because, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't drafted. So, you know, I had to play, you know, I, I was in the CBA prior. And then, you know, I made the Sonics in 1991. 
Um, I know, I'm sure you played against Muggsy prior to joining the Hornets, but did did his just being in the locker room with it? Did his height shock you? Did his like, oh my gosh, this is this is this guy is? They said he was small, but this guy is small. Yeah, no, well, you, you know, I knew him prior because, uh, boy, what a beautiful campus! I was recruited in the mid '80s to Wake Forest. Right. So, you know, on the recruiting vision, you know, I met him. Okay. And, you know, I was like, you know, I remember then I was like, wow, this guy's tiny. You yeah. know, and then, he, you know, and then he became this, you know, very, very good NBA player. And you're like, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was kind of familiar with him. So I knew, you know, how um, you know small he was, but I knew how powerful he was. You know, I mean, he, you know, he's obviously height wise, but, you know, he's a very powerful legs, arms, you know, that kind of thing. And I knew he was probably the quickest guy, strongest, fastest guy in the NBA. So, um, so you know, when we playing off of him, is is a dream come true. And he really powered. Yeah, he really powered that style of play. I mean, you couldn't have, oh, yeah. you probably couldn't have done it without without Muggsy at the point. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like that kind of offense. Obviously, the the, the league has changed now. Uh, you know, with the, the, the amount of shooters and stuff like that, but that offense, then you needed a, a point guard like Muggsy. But again, you know, for the for a Charlotte fan back in the mid nineties, I mean, that was a great style of play to watch, to watch yeah. because you know, again, I, you know, I don't know if people really, you know, everybody's much, you know, worse. You know, I'm older. Uh, you know, they don't remember how how isolated offense was back in the nineties, and you know, I didn't like it. So, you know, I, th- I think it was ahead of its time and the, and the style of play that they're playing now in the NBA is much, much better offensively. You mentioned uh, Larry Johnson wasn't around the team because of his injury, but Alonzo was. I don't know if you remember this, but in this game, uh, in the reporting for this game, I, I found out that Alonzo actually got a technical on the bench. Like <laughs> they gave, they yeah. teed him up on the bench, which I I think is still kind of rare for somebody in the in the suit and tie. No, no, they, they kicked they kicked him out of the game. Uh, they 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 said ejection. Yeah. So yeah. so do, yeah. What do you remember about that moment? Well. I remember that, uh, you know, playing against him, I remember he was a very, very intense, you know, guy, you know, and I remember, um, well, you know what I, I do remember, I remember playing against him in college Yeah. and, uh, you know, you know, the college, the talent level was so, so much higher than it is now. So you just imagine this big East with Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, Jason wow. Williams, St. John's. Yeah. Derek Coleman, mm. Syracuse, Billy Owens, Syracuse so you know you, you know I play against these guys and you know each of those teams you know pro- when I played for Providence we beat them you know obviously they be, would beat us but we played two three times a year yeah and they were all lottery picks so you know when I wasn't drafted I said well you know if those guys are lottery picks you know they're probably the understanding that they'll probably become all-star players, which obviously Alonzo Mourning did, Matumbo did, Derek Coleman did. So if I can play okay against them in college, you know, there might be an opportunity for me in the NBA. So that's a long way to get around to. I remember him being a very, very intense guy. And then obviously he showed it on the bench, you know, you know, he, you know, he obviously wanted to win so bad that, um, you know, he got ejected for the game, a game that he didn't even play in. So it was it was pretty wild. Uh, fantastic. This is this has been amazing. I've got one final question for you. Sure. Uh, bas- basketball reference lists your nickname as Celtic Killer. Uh, do you recognize that nickname? Are you aware of this nickname that basketball reference says you have? Celtic um, Killer. Yeah, it was really when I was with the Milwaukee Bucks, two years with the Milwaukee Bucks in the mid-90s. So after Charlotte, 
um, you know, I was really given an opportunity to play a lot. And, yeah. um, you know, I think up, up in New England, they remember me from Providence. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah. I, I, did you, did you have any I other, nickna- did you have one. any other nicknames in any, in any level? Did you have any other great nicknames? Um, I remember in Seattle and then uh, it was at the very end and you see it on cable. They call me Marty McFly. <laughs> All right. The, uh, yeah. Back to the movies, Marty McFly. Marty McFly. So I remember Eddie Johnson, those guys used to tease me with that, you know, because I remember at that time the uh, Back to the Future. So, you know, any nickname that they would give me, I'd take. Um, but again, you know, just going back to the Hornets, you know, it was really good fortune that you know, I was called up by them because, you know, like we said, you know, the injuries are wide open. I could have been chosen by another team prior to that in January. And, you know, I would probably just sat the bench and then back in the CBA. So, you know, really, um, when I think of Charlotte, when I think of the Hornets, I only think of good things. You know, it was, it was seven great weeks, seven great weeks of basketball for me. Awesome. Well, uh, before we get you out of here, Marty, uh, tell us about MartyProHoops.com. This is your, uh, this oh, is your oh, basketball yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm just, uh, I live in um, Connecticut, you know, the tri-state area outside New York. Um, and I, I, I train players. So I'm coaching high school up here in Connecticut and, uh, I'm training, um, you know, players up here. Uh, and, uh, I, um, uh, I coach near, so I coach at a high school near where Scotty Burrell coaches here in Connecticut. Oh, another former Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, anybody got young people here in uh, suburban Connecticut, let me know. I'll train you. All right. Well, yeah. Well, what's the, I'm, I'm interested in this. What's the like one piece of advice that if like you want them to take away, like if you okay. learn nothing else, yes. what do you want to take? What do you want people to take away? That, that during the off season is a time to collect offensive skills. Uh-huh. So, you know, so for example, you know, obviously when I was young, I was always the tallest guy on the team. So they say, Connell, get underneath You're You're the center. But during the off season, when I would go to a basketball camp, you know, I'd bring a notebook and I'd work on my jump shot. I'd work on my ball handling. I'd work on those things, not necessarily for ninth grade, for 10th grade, but hopefully for, you know, university, for college, for maybe professional. And it did come true because, you know, obviously seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, I was in the post, you know, in high school. But when I was with the Charlotte Hornets, it was important for me to hit that 16 footer when Muggsy Bogue drove. Yeah. So that that work that I would put in the summers working on those skills that I had not necessarily used during the season, but I knew I'd use three, four years down the road if my career progressed, came in handy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marty. We really appreciate the time. My pleasure. Okay, so there you go. Marty Conlon, a.k.a. the Celtic Killer, a.k.a. Marty McFly. That was uh, that was the, the nickname that a lot of folks gave him. That's a, a fun nickname, especially to have during the uh, late '80s, early '90s. I don't know if it's the same as Celtic Killer, but Marty McFly, yes, also a very good one. Celtic Killer. I imagine a lot of people like that nickname. Well, Marty was a big that liked to run the floor. I mean, if yeah. I did manage to find some uh, highlights and game footage of Marty Conlon on YouTube. Uh, playing for the Charlotte Hornets, and he was a, a little bit of a, a mobile big. And uh, what I love about that conversation is that he really kind of opened up my eyes to how different this Hornets offense was th- than the rest of the league. And and you and I sort of touched on that before we went to that interview, which is, look at this. I mean, five of eight from three for Eddie, four of eight from Del Curry. Uh, Muggsy had 10 assists in this game. 
Uh, only five points, but 10 assists. He was moving the basketball a lot. Yeah, he was getting up and down assists. the floor. 32 Trend, total. Yeah. Uh, tw- 32, yeah, 32 assists. They shared the basketball. This wasn't an ISO team, Walker. Yeah, well, and, and plus, especially with Alonzo out and you don't have Larry Johnson in this game either. Yeah. It's it's kind of called for, especially when Muggsy Bogues is the guy bringing the ball up the floor. Eddie Johnson and Del Curry, especially Del Curry, a spot up shooter. You're going to have to find ways to manufacture some points and move the basketball around. Now they scored 112. It was the defense that allowed a really high field goal percentage to the Indiana Pacers. That's not going to get it done. But at least offensively, they gave themselves a chance with a couple of players um, in Eddie Johnson and Del Curry. That was it, though. I mean, that was it. Who else was scoring the basket? I guess you had a little bit of help from Hersey, but not a good field goal percentage from him. Not shooting the ball well. Didn't even take many from deep. And then you had to rely a ton on your bench four guys getting over 20 minutes in this game and you just didn't have enough of the firepower to get the ball in the bucket yeah and, and not a, and not enough of uh, of just defense and size to really compete with uh rick smith who was just amazing in this game um but yeah i mean this was a team that that played a different offensive style one that was uh, ahead of its time and um it, it really I think gives you an appreciation of what Muggsy was able to do, just like move, moving the basketball, but also getting it up and down the floor. And also Alan Bristow, who I learned uh, studied under Doug Moe, who was one of the big proponents of bringing motion offense to the NBA game. And now it took obviously took a while to, uh, to really take on because the teams that were winning championships were doing so mostly with that isolation style basketball. Um, but Alan Bristow uh, was somebody who respected Doug Moe and, and tried to bring that style to the Hornets. Former Tar Heel, by the way, Doug Moe is. And as we're talking about some of the injuries, right? I do have a rabbit hole here, Doug, that I want to get to if you don't mind. So Larry Let's, Johnson. Well, yeah, I, you go, go down ahead. that. I'm going to, I want to look at the game log while you're doing that and just see how they did during this period where they lost Alonzo and Larry. Okay, so no Larry Johnson, no Alonzo Morning. I'm going to focus on Alonzo in this rabbit hole, though, because Alonzo was also ejected in this game, Doug. As you mentioned, you did the research here. He was ejected, but he wasn't even playing. He was in street clothes, and he got bounced from the game. And I kind of remember Alonzo being a temperamental player. Mm -hmm. And that was true only for a little bit. And then it ended up kind of fixing itself. Alonzo started to change his ways as his career went on. So I call this a gonzo morning, Doug. (laughs) In his first... (laughs) Why? In his Just first two seasons, yeah, that it's because it's fantastic. In his first two seasons, Alonzo was assessed 40 technical fouls and he was ejected seven times. Yikes. He was ejected seven times in his first two seasons. He was a bad, bad boy. Then he was on pace to finish with over 200 techs. If you go based off of what he did his first two years, based off the amount of games that he would play in hindsight, He was on pace to finish with over 200 techs in his career. That would have put him sixth all time just ahead of Anthony Mason at 192 at Mm. the end of his career. The amount of ejections is a little more staggering. Seven and two years is a lot. And to the best of my research, Doug, which I admit my Googling, it was a little hard to find this information who had what amount of ejections the most of all time. I think I was able to find it, though. So to the best of my research, 11 ejections total that lands you in the top 10 all time. So Alonzo was already 70% of the way there after his first two years were done. 
But Zoe changes his ways. In his third season with Charlotte, he only compiled seven techs, and he wasn't ejected at all. And as far as I can tell, was not ejected more than a few times the rest of the way through. So kind of crazy. First two years, Zoe was not the ref's best friend by any stretch of the imagination, and then changed his ways as his career went on. And remember, Alonzo was a guy that stayed in the NBA for a long time. You might think that he just compiled a couple of ejections here and there after that kind of start, but never did. Not on any top 10 list I looked at. Changed a little based off some publications I was looking at. Kind of crazy, though. And for those that want this a little bit more in perspective, Rashid Wallace has the record for 41 techs in a season. That came in 2000-2001. Sheed. Rashid also leads in ejections in a season with 29. Carl Malone leads in technical fouls all time the mailman. At, at 332. A little bit of a compiler. Rashid doing a lot more bang for your buck there. What are you like doing there? What are you doing there with Rashid? You, you're doing Rashid. You're really, you're really putting the emphasis hard on Ra. Rashid Wallace? Do you show me that? Well, see, that, you, that, was, that was, I think, how most human beings say it. You okay. said it as if you were an alien uh, coming down to earth studying the English language and having a hard time with it. Rashid Wallace. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that people could hear me instead of saying, you know, Sheed Wallace is fine. You just want me to go Sheed, Rashid? Or, or just say it normal. That's Mr. all I'm Wallace, asking. Mr. Tech himself. Yeah, anyways, thank you for helping me just land the dismount here. <laughs> that is it for a Gonzo morning, and I appreciate your help, Doug. <laughs> Always, man. <laughs> no, what's great about you too is that you really help at the beginning and you also help at the end. You really do a great yeah, job. Yeah, then I the just leave, I leave you out on the, I leave you out on a cliff yeah. at the end for sure. Yeah, that's perfect. So thank you. Anyways, yes, kind of crazy to see Alonzo change his ways. All right, so I've been looking at the game log for the Charlotte Hornets during the 93-94 season and just if I'm just eyeballing it here, okay, they they get off to a, a pretty great start. Now they they lose two of their first three, but then they they uh, uh, get a little five game winning streak going on here. So you're six and two, uh, great start. Uh, but then you know they have this little five game blip here. They get they get things back on track at the, the midway through December, and things are looking good, looking good, kind of going back and forth through January, and then um, that's when I think it was early, uh, mid to early December is when they first lose Larry Johnson, and then uh, at the end of January, they lose Al Alonzo, so now you're dealing with no morning, no Larry, and you can see January, it just oh, falls yeah off a, a cliff mm -hmm. they lose three six seven eight in a row they get a win against houston and then they lose uh their oh, next nice. eight again so two eight game losing streaks sandwiched by a win against houston <laughs> oh, that is brutal that is brutal basketball and then they get both guys back and they they string together a, a great end to the season to get back to 500. That's the thing. I mean, they had a losing record for a good bit of this season and they pulled things back together and all and came within a game of getting back to the playoffs, but it wasn't to be. And notice the only loss in the stretch uh, in that winning game, or excuse me, that winning stretch was to Chicago by three points, it looks like. So that was the only one. And Chicago, I guess, was without Michael at that point. Bulls still a good team, though, and had high expectations. I think they took the Knicks. Was it six games in that series? I think that might be right. So anyways, yeah, still an impressive stretch for them. And you go back to all of the L's they compiled. You have to wonder, could they have gotten, you know, they, they certainly could have gotten, what, six more wins maybe in that? I don't know. And then that would have helped them to close to 50 wins and maybe competing in the Eastern Conference. It would have been tough. New York still very good. 
that was the year also they i think orlando orlando would have gone what was it the next year but anyways that those were the two michael jordan gone from the nba years well here's something interesting so in our last episode we talked about how the hornets missed the playoffs in 1819 partially due to the fact that they lost to the orlando magic who were being coached by steve clifford who were the Horn- who was the hornets coach in the previous season so it was a little bit poetic that they get knocked out by the coach that they fired okay well here's something interesting they lose the final game of this season i just told you they were a game out of the playoffs they lose their final game of this of the season to the washington bullets who marty conlin would go on to play for because uh the hornets did not uh keep marty conlin on after zoe returned so do i dare i've not clicked on this box score i don't know what i'm gonna see here do i dare click on this bullets box score to see if conlin put the stake in the hornets i i think we need to revisit this once we get to 2047 and then once we get to that episode and now you know i'm gonna do it now okay i'm gonna do it now we're gonna go bullets 117 over the hornet they needed this game so desperately and the bullets look at this this was (laughs) a terrible the bullets were terrible 24 and 58 (laughs) they threw this season away i mean i don't know i have to go look and see if miami i have to go look and see if miami also if, if miami won their game it wouldn't have mattered um but oh man, incredible pace to this game. 106.3. That's like modern day pace. Yeah, both of them doing that. Okay, I've, I'm looking at it. So you get you've got Larry back, you've got Zoe back, everything's humming along. Well, that's they, a lot of Tony Bennett in this game, too. 37 minutes from Tony Bennett. Yeah, well, Eddie, only well, Eddie Johnson goes back to the bench. So something must yeah. have gone wrong with Eddie Johnson. What happened? Yeah, what happened there? Why is Tony Bennett getting 37 minutes? We'll have to ask Alan Bristow someday. I'm scared. Did, did he do it? Did Marty, uh, Marty Collin didn't play many minutes in this game. That's okay. okay. <laughs> uh, hey, but look at this name, Rex Chapman. For I, the Washington I, Bullets. I would not have guessed that he played for Washington. I don't remember that, you know, and, and I know Phoenix. I know obviously the Hornets. I didn't, I would not have guessed Washington just completely would have slipped my mind. Well, we haven't talked a lot about Rexy, sexy Rexy yet. Um, but Rex Chapman, of course, was the first, draft pick first first rounder draft pick and and hornets history but rex had a little bit of a checkered history in charlotte was a little bit was known had a reputation of being a little bit temperamental uh and and taking shot maybe taking some shots that the coach didn't want him to take they have great relationships with hornets coach or hornets management i don't think i don't think shen liked him either um so rex eventually gets um uh exits the franchise only has 10 points in this one. This was really about Googs, Googliata, How 31 world, points. I, that early, I I did not know that he was putting up numbers in 93, 94. I, I would have guessed his heyday was like, I don't know, 97, a little bit later. But goodness gracious, 30 and 94. I did not know he was doing work that early. Googs. And Rex Mershon going with 10, 10, points. Of, 10 of 13. George, we're we're doing a, another show. We're doing two and one. We can't. I do know. That. Sorry, Murasan. Okay. Oh, what a name! I just love going through all these names, man. And they had just beaten the Bullets three games earlier. They had beaten them one seventeen to one eleven. They play the. I mean, I just. I think I have to now go to Miami's game log and just see if that was the difference maker. That it would be an absolute heartbreaker if it was. Let's see, Miami final game of the season. They lost the final. 
Jackson to the Pacers. Whoa, my God. They could have. I don't know if they had the tiebreaker, but they could, could have gone to the postseason. Yeah. They could have possibly gone to the postseason had it not been for the Washington Bullets who had Marty Conlon after though. Maybe it was all good. Maybe it was just a good luck. Maybe Conlon was a good luck charm and they, they lost it because they gave up Marty Conlon. So, yeah, if, if you want to play that game, you go to the standings. Who were the teams I mentioned? I think it was Atlanta and New York at the top of the Eastern Conference standings. New York, they're going to win. Atlanta, I don't know what Atlanta did. I, they never really did anything too much in their playoff history because, remember, they just ended their endless conference final streak a couple years ago when they upset the Philadelphia 76ers. So 57, a lot of wins in that regular season. I wonder if they got upset, though. Oh, look at these little Craig Elo, little Mookie Blaylock, little Kevin Willis, Danny Manning, Dominique Wilkins, of course, Stacey Ogman, You're John Conkak. Yeah, we're just going all over the, yes, we are. Andrew going Lang, <laughs> yeah. Dwayne can't, Farrell, can't, can't Ennis Watley, yeah, yeah, okay. Adam Keefe, okay. Doug Edwards. Mm-hmm. Paul Graham. Almost. John Bagley. And last one. Ricky Grace. My daughter's name. Ricky? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a perfect place to end. (laughs) (laughs) 